podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Tuesday. It is the 25th of July. Hope you're all well. We are in nostalgia mode again, of course, but we do have some transfers being done, um, which are interesting. There's movement. There's bids going in left and right. Nottingham Forest have today confirmed the signing of Anthony Alanga from Manchester United, the Swedish winger who was very highly rated at United up until the arrival of Eric Ten Hag, moves for a fee in the region of about 15 million. He'd been at United for nine years. 
and made 55 appearances for the first team. I think he's a good signing for Forrest. I think he's a talented player. I don't think he was ever going to be good enough to start for United on a regular basis. But I do think he's more than good enough to go and do very well at Forrest. He's Forrest's second signing of the summer after Ola Aina. I think they're both clever signings. It does look like they want to make at least two more. They want a goalkeeper. We know that. And Ibrahim Sanger is another one that they're targeting to bring in. So if they get those two deals done, I'd I'd still like to see them sign one more centre-back. Now, maybe Biancone comes back from the ACL tear and is ready, but I'd still like to see them sign one more centre-back. And the other thing they'll probably need is a left-back because Renan Lodi has gone back to Atletico Madrid and has since moved on to Marseille. Harry Tofolo is facing, I think, quite a long ban for breaches of the gambling rules, um, similar to Ivan Tony, which leaves Omar Richards, who missed all of last season through injury. And I, I don't think he's quite enough just by himself to get you through a season. So maybe that's somewhere you can look into the loan market. They did quite well with some loans last season. But yeah, they've still got work to do, but they're off to a good start. and. Added bonus for Forrest. It's not as chaotic as last summer. They're not, they don't need to bring in 20 plus players this year because they haven't lost half of their squad. So all things considered, I like that deal for Forrest. I think he gives them another pacey option in attack. At, at, at worst, a good backup for Brennan Johnson. Um, I talked yesterday about the Mbappe deal and how it was just such a ludicrous sum of money. Uh, but ludicrous sums of money are not just the prop, uh, the the offerings from Saudi Arabia. Um, we've had a ludicrous offer from West Ham for Conor Gallagher of over £40 million. For Conor Gallagher. Now, he's a fine player. And he had a, a decent loan at West Brom and a good loan at Crystal Palace. But he's not a 40-odd million pound player. He's a 20 to 25 million pound player. And I really don't like the fit for him at West Ham. And I'm really concerned that West Ham are going to waste Declan Rice money on him, on Scott McTominay, and on James Ward-Prowse. And I think if they end up with those three, Moyes is gone by November, and they're stuck with three players who really and truly aren't good enough to start for a team that has top six to top eight ambitions on a regular basis. I mean, for me, Ward-Prowse is nothing more than a squad player for anybody in the Premier League. He's just not a particularly good player outside of set pieces and crosses. Gallagher could work in the right shape, but West Ham don't have the players to go with him. And they've got Lucas Paqueta, who they're different players, but they kind of need the same role, which is to be the free one in the midfield three. I, I, and McTominay, I mean, again, he's decent, but like he's a box-to-box midfielder. He's not 
a number six. And if you try and play him as a number six, you're going to end up very disappointed. Now, they are being linked with Edson Alvarez from Ajax, and he's a good player. He, he'd he fit well for them. But him and Gallagher as a double pivot, or him and Ward-Prowse as a double pivot, or him, Gallagher, and Ward-Prowse as a midfield three, is is horrendous. Somebody take the keys away from David Moyes because he's doing silly things. Um, we had some really, really tough news to take yesterday. We had two passings in the game that hit kind of hard. So the first one is Trevor Francis, who passed away at the age of 69 um, due to a heart attack. And Trevor Francis is one of the most talented English players of all time. He came through the Birmingham City Academy. He's the greatest player in Birmingham City history. Was absolutely sensational there for them for a period of about eight years. Um, Almost always double figures and goals despite playing in wide areas. Moved to Nottingham Forest for a million pound, was the first million pound footballer in England. And there's some funny stories around the the fee, how Brian Clough didn't want to pay the million quid. He offered 999,999 pounds. Now, he Clough claimed that he that's what he offered and that he thinks his assistant manager threw in a quid of his own money, um, Peter Taylor, to make the fee happen. But the, the truth is they, they just paid the money. They paid the million quid and they brought him to Nottingham Forest. And he didn't replicate his success and his performances from Birmingham at Forest, unfortunately. But he was still a very good player for them. He still won two European Cups with them. And a league was a, well, won the Super Cup, won the European Super Cup as well. Missed the league title because he joined the season after that. Um, from there, he would move on. He would spend a season at Manchester City. He was one of the first English players to head abroad and go to Sampdoria, where he had four years and he played a year with Atalanta. Played a year with Rangers when Graham Souness was manager there and was signing up a lot of older English players. Played for QPR and then played for Sheffield Wednesday and played right up until the age of 38. And of course, on this podcast in recent weeks, we've talked about Sheffield Wednesday and they were managed by Trevor Francis in the early days of the Premier League. He also managed Birmingham and Crystal Palace. He actually started at QPR. He was player manager there, then became player manager of Sheffield Wednesday, um, then Birmingham, then Crystal Palace, out of management in 2003 at the age of only 49, which it was a little bit surprising that he never went back in. I, I, I assume it had to be by choice because he'd done a decent job at Sheffield Wednesday and he did a good job at Birmingham. Now, the spell at Palace didn't go great, but it wasn't a disaster either. Uh, all things considered, Trevor Francis was a good manager. Um, tremendous player, like I said, uh, 
naturally gifted winger with good pace, great balance, could score goals, could create goals, could play wide or just off a, off a target man striker, would be perfect in the modern game. The modern day player I'd probably compare him to is probably Brennan Johnson, but with a bit more flair to his game. Um, but yeah, a, a very, very good player and and one who one who excelled for for Birmingham was successful with Forrest, even though injuries kind of slowed him down a little bit. Scored a winning goal in a European Cup final. So, I mean, at, at the end of the day, that is always going to be something he can he can hang on to. Um, missed the European Cup final the second year with an Achilles tendon injury, but was part of the squad and, and got his winner's medal. Yeah, 69 years of age. Um. We also lost Chris Bart Williams, who, again, I've mentioned in the last couple of weeks, a, a really, really talented midfielder, well before his time as a box-to-box midfielder who could get you a goal. He played for Trevor Francis at Sheffield Wednesday for pretty much the entirety of the, the time they were there, overlapped. Uh, he'd come through the Leighton Orient Academy, moved on to Sheffield Wednesday, would then move on to Nottingham Forest, would move to Charlton, Ipswich, played for Apperwell in Cyprus and finished off, finished off playing in Malta. Um, 16 England under 21 caps. Just a really talented player. And he passed away at the age of 49. No details on the cause of death with Chris Bart Williams, but a very, very good player. A very, very good player for a long time. Gone far too early at the age of 49. And I don't know if irony is the right word, but the fact that him and Trevor Francis passed away on the same day is... It's just one of those strange coincidences considering their careers overlapped at, at so much at, at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, right, let's move on. Um, Women's World Cup I wanted to just touch on because I think it's important just to keep up with the ongoings. Uh, so let's check out the group stage games. We've had two rounds of games or we're in the second round of games, I should say. Um, in Group A, New Zealand beat Norway and then Switzerland beat the Philippines. The Philippines beat New Zealand and Switzerland drew with Norway. So Norway, who were fa- fancied to win that group, now need to beat the Philippines and hope that Switzerland get at least... A, no, Switzerland, I think, need to beat New Zealand for... Norway to go through. I think with a draw, New Zealand would go through over Norway. Um, so that would be a big shock. Uh, Australia beat Ireland. Nigeria and Canada drew nil-nil. Tomorrow, Canada will play Ireland and Australia will play Nigeria. In Group C, Spain beat Costa Rica and Japan hammered Zambia. 
Tomorrow again, we have Japan versus Costa Rica and Spain versus Zambia. England beat Haiti 1-0. Denmark beat China 1-0. England played Denmark next, and obviously then China, Haiti. Those games are on the 28th. The United States beat Vietnam 3-0, and the Netherlands beat Portugal 1-0. The US played the Netherlands, Portugal versus Vietnam. Those games are on the 27th. France and Jamaica drew 0-0. Brazil beat Panama 4-0. A couple of lovely goals in that game. Uh, France played Brazil next. Panama and Jamaica. Those games are the 29th. Sweden beat South Africa. And Italy beat Argentina. Argentina plays South Africa and Sweden play Italy. Uh, the Argentina-South Africa game is the 28th. The other one is the 29th. Germany beat Morocco 6-0. Colombia beat South Korea. Germany play Colombia on the 30th and South Korea play Morocco on the same day. So, no more games today. We just had the two. Um, New Zealand, Philippines and Switzerland, Norway. So, it's tomorrow for the next run of games. Four games tomorrow. Two on Thursday two Friday, two Saturday, two Sunday, and then I think two Monday as well. Um, Right, let's move on. 2004-2005 Premier League season. So at the end of the last season we did, 03-04, Leicester, Leeds and Wolves were relegated. Coming into the Premier League, we have Norwich, who were an original Premier League team. We have West Brom, who had just gone down, have now come back up. And Crystal Palace, uh, nine years, one year, and six years of a a gap from their last time in the league, respectively. We've talked about all these stadiums. There's no new stadiums for us to go over. Nobody has moved stadium. We're getting... Carrow Road, the Hawthorns, and Selhurst Park back into the top flight. Uh, managerial changes. So during the summer, it was actually fairly hectic with three of the big four. Three of the big, what would it have been at the time? I suppose Everton Villa dropped off. So it would have been three of the big five. Yeah, three of the big five. Changing managers. Arsenal United obviously didn't change manager. Liverpool sacked Gerard Houllier and replaced him at Rafa Benitez. Chelsea sacked Claudio Ranieri and replaced him with Jose Mourinho. And Spurs, who had David Pleat in a caretaker role, brought in Jacques Santini. Uh, in August, the season just started, Paul Sturrock left Southampton and was replaced by Steve Wigley. I do not remember Steve Wigley. Um, Newcastle sacked Bobby Robson in August and replaced him with Graham Souness. Souness resigned as manager of Blackburn, was replaced there by Mark Hughes. Gary Megson was sacked by West Brom in October and replaced by Brian Robson. Spurs sacked Jack Santini in November replaced him with Martin Yole, who'd been his assistant. 
Harry Redknapp resigned as manager of Portsmouth and took over at Southampton when Steve Wigley was sacked in December. Redknapp was replaced at Portsmouth by Velimir Zacic. Uh, Kevin Keegan resigned as Manchester City manager in March, was replaced by Stuart Pearce as a caretaker. Portsmouth decided to change manager again in April with Alan Perrine coming in. And Stuart Pearce was made permanent manager of Manchester City at the end of the season. So, season's end, the managers we had were Arsene Wenger at Arsenal with Patrick Vieira as his captain, David O'Leary at Villa with Olaf Melberg as his captain, Steve Bruce at Birmingham with Kenny Cunningham, Blackburn Rovers had Mark Hughes and Gary Flickcroft, Bolton had Sam Allardyce and JJ Okocha, Charlton had Alan Kerbishley, Matt, ha- Matt Holland as captain. Chelsea had Mourinho with John Terry. Crystal Palace had Ian Dowie with Michael Hughes. Everton had David Moyes and David Weir. Fulham had Chris Coleman and Lee Clark. Liverpool had Rafa Benitez and Steven Gerrard. Manchester City had Stuart Pearce and Sylvain Distan. United had... Alex Ferguson and Roy Keane. Middlesbrough had Steve McLaren and Gareth Southgate. Newcastle, Graeme Souness and Alan Shearer. Norwich had Nigel Worthington and Craig Fleming. Portsmouth had Alan Perrine and Arjun D'Azou. Southampton had Harry Redknapp and Nigel Quasi. Spurs, Martin Yole, Ledley King. And West Brom, Brian Robson and Kevin Campbell. So, kit manufacturers. So, I'll I'll do manufacturers and shirt sponsors together here. Arsenal had Nike and O2, still that classic look. Aston Villa had moved to Hummel. And their uh, front of shirt sponsor changed to DWS Investments. Birmingham had Diodora and Flybe. Middlesbrough, sorry, Middlesbrough. Blackburn, Blackburn had Lonsdale. First time we've seen them. And HSA. Bolton still had Reebok and Reebok. Charlton, their kits were made by Joma and they were sponsored by All Sports. Chelsea, kits made by Umbro, sponsored by Emirates. Crystal Palace, kits made by Diodora. Front of shirt was Churchill, the insurance company. Everton, Umbro and Chang. That's a fairly classic Everton kit. Uh, Puma made the Fulham kit and Dabs.com was front of shirt. Liverpool still had Reebok and Carlsberg. Manchester City had Reebok and Thomas Cook. United still had Nike and Vodafone again. That's a pretty classic look. I think after the the Adidas Sharp and Umbro Sharp kits, it's probably their third most notable Premier League kit. Uh, Middlesbrough Stillwood area, they had 888.com as a sponsor. Newcastle, Adidas and Northern Rock. Again, it's a fairly classic one. I still think of the Newcastle Brown Ale as their most iconic Premier League shirt. Adidas, oh sorry, uh, Norwich had Zara. Is that the... No. I don't know who this is. The kits are made by Zara. And XA or A. 
and their front of shirt was a company called Proton, um, a Malaysian car manufacturer. Portsmouth, Pompey Sport and TY. Southampton, Saints and Friends Provident. Spurs, Kappa and Thompson Holidays. And West Brom, Deodora and T-Mobile. First time we've seen T-Mobile as a front of shirt sponsor in the Premier League. Transfer-wise, now things started to get really wild. So we'll start with Arsenal because that's what's here. Almunia, Robin van Persie, Emmanuel Abue, Matteo Flamini, and Arturo Lapoli, who was a really highly rated young Italian striker who just never never amounted to what he was expected to be. All in all, I mean, Van Persie obviously worked out to be fantastic, but it took him quite a while to get going at, at Arsenal. Um, Almunia never amounted to much more than a backup. Abue, uh, I never really, I never really thought much of him as a player. Flamini was a good kind of all-round workhorse midfielder, but wasn't really what Arsenal needed. But it was tough for Arsenal to go out and shop in this market because, well, they'd just gone unbeaten, so their team was pretty special. Van Persie was seen as a replacement for Burkamp, uh, someone that could be that successor and play with Henri. And there were flashes of it, but it never quite developed the way they hoped. And by the time Van Persie really hit his stride, Thierry Henry was gone. Um, Chelsea went buck wild again. They signed Nuno Moras, Alcides, Matthias Kesman, Yiri Jarosek, Alex, Petacek. They'd agreed that deal the summer before, um, but he didn't arrive till this summer. Thiago Mendes, Aryan Robin, who was, when he first came into the league, he was unstoppable. And it seemed like every week he scored a goal or created a goal where he picked the ball up in his own half, beat three players, and then either scored or squared it for somebody. Paolo Ferreira, solid, reliable right back. Bit of an overpay. Ricardo Carvalho, who, for my money, is one of the four or five best centre-backs the Premier League has ever seen. And without question for me, the best centre-back Chelsea have had in the Premier League era. And then Didier Drogba, who was 26, was coming off a really impressive season for Marseille and would obviously go on to make himself a Premier League legend, one of the best forward players we'll ever have in the league. Too many people judge him on just goal return. Drogba was about so much more. You would have liked more goals from him, I think. But his hold-up play is the way he would bully and pin centre-backs. If it wasn't for Didier Drogba, Frank Lampard has probably half the Premier League goals. So many of them came from Drogba, either from knockdowns, from just occupying centre-backs, dragging them out of the way and letting Lampard run through. He He was sensational. Him and Carvalho alone would have been a great window. The fact that they also got Aryan Robin and Petr Cech, who's a top three Premier League goalkeeper of all time, is is a sensational window. Um, much more 
targeted this summer than last summer. This is very much the guiding hand of Mourinho, the players he knew he would want. The big target man striker, the brilliant man-marking centre-back, the solid, reliable right-back, the outlet with wild pace left-winger. And Arjen Robin at the time was a left-winger. We obviously know him more as a left-footed right-winger who would cut in. But back then, he was an out-and-out left-winger. Played more like Ryan Giggs than what we know Arjen Robin to be. Like, when you close your eyes and think of Arjen Robin, you think of a guy cutting in field onto his left foot and just unleashing a shot or sliding a pass through the defence. Back then, he would go on the outside. He was more like Leroy Sané type. Um, Yeah, all in all, a, a pretty great window. For Chelsea, Manchester United signed Wayne Rooney at 18 years of age. They also signed Gabriel Heinze, Alan Smith, and a very young Gerard Piquet. Liverpool signed Gibral Cisse. That was a deal that Gerard Houllier had agreed. And unfortunately, Benitez couldn't back out of. Now, look, Cisse was a big part for the next two years, but overall, a little bit disappointing. Um, they signed Xabi Alonso, who would obviously have a very good tenure at Liverpool. They signed Fernando Morientes, Luis Garcia, Josemi, Scott Carson, and Maurizio Pellegrino. They also sold Emil Heskey, who'd been a big part of their team. More notably, they sold Michael Owen to Real Madrid in what is, to this day, one of the worst transfers of all time. They got $8 million and Antonio Nunes, who was dreadful. It was an absolute shocker of a transfer. Real's first offer was Samuel Eto'o in a swap. And Liverpool turned it down. And this is what they got. Well done, lads. Well done. Uh, Newcastle signed John Allen Boomsong. I remember when Boomsong came through at Auxerre, him and Philippe Mexis came through together. And it was very clear Mexis was the better defender by a considerable margin. But Boomsong was really athletic and really aggressive. And he somehow ended up at Rangers. This was back when they were still fiddling their books. Um, but he, I think he spent a year there, maybe ended up at Newcastle, didn't go particularly well. They signed James Milner from relegated Leeds. They signed Nicky Butt, the second of the class of 92, to leave Manchester United. They signed Amdi Fay, Stephen Carr, Charles and Zogbia. Charles and Zogbia was one of the most talented players the league had seen when he started to, to really develop. Um, I can't remember who called him insomnia. Was it Joe Kinnear? Someone called Charles Nzogbia, Charles Insomnia, and he got really offended by it. Very, very talented, dreadful attitude. They signed Celestine Babiaro. They signed Patrick Clivert, which was quite exciting because he was a, a big star. Now, he was only 28, were quite a long time removed from his, um, his Ajax European Cup exploits, but he was still a big star, and it was, it was exciting to see him come into the league. Uh, and they signed Ronnie Johnson, who'd obviously been at United. He'd gone to Villa, and now he lands at Newcastle. Very experienced. Uh, they sold Jonathan Woodgate to Real Madrid. Real signed him and Walter Samuel 
that summer and it should have been a brilliant partnership but Samuel couldn't settle in Madrid and Woodgate couldn't stay fit had an absolutely shambolic debut but overall he did fairly okay when he could play but he just couldn't play he was always injured um it's such a shame because he was so so good um Aston Villa signed Martin Larrison Eric Jemba Jemba Matthew Burson Carlton Cole a young Carlton Cole on loan uh, Charlton signed Francis Jeffers, Dennis Romadal, Danny Murphy, Talil El Karkuri, I don't remember him, Stephen Anderson, and Brian Hughes. Again, I don't remember him. Uh, Bolton signed Gary Speed because Bolton liked to sign old players. They also signed a very young Tal Ben Heem uh, and a couple of kids then. Michael Bridges also came in on a free from Leeds, Vincent Candela, 31 years of age, very experienced left-back, arrived from Roma. Uh, They signed the great, the great Fernando Hierro, the greatest Spanish centre-back of all time. He'd been in Qatar. He was one of the first ones to go to the Middle East, came back, signed for Bolton, and they signed a very old Les Ferdinand as well. Um, They also signed El Hadj Juf on loan from Liverpool because Benitez wanted nothing to do with him. Fulham signed Papa Booba Diop, a man known as The Wardrobe, which is maybe maybe the best nickname of all time. Uh, he obviously passed away, sadly, a couple of years ago. Um, he was a very good player. Very, very good player. Passed away after a long illness. Uh, he had ALS. Horrible, a horrible, horrible affliction. But he was actually a very good player. Um, the, the wardrobe was just such a great nickname for him, though. But he he did well in England. He bullied people for Fulham. He went to Portsmouth afterwards. He bullied people there. He had a spell at West Ham and a spell at Birmingham later in his career, but he was kind of washed by then. But yeah, it was, it was a good a good player. Thomas Rodzinski arrived. Klaus Jensen arrived. Uh, Ricardo Batista, Neil McDermott, a very old Andy Cole, not a very old, but an old Andy Cole, and an old Billy Billy McGinley. Uh, Birmingham signed Emil Heskey. They signed Jesper Cronkjaer, Robbie Blake, who was a good player. And they signed an aging Dwight York as well. Mario Melshot arrived in a free. Darren Anderton arrived in a free. Muzzy Izzet on a free. Salif Jow in on loan from Liverpool. Uh, Jermaine Pennant on loan from Arsenal. It's a solid window. Um, they sold Robbie Savage to Blackburn. There was. Let me let me make sure I have this right. So, I I have a few Robbie Savage stories. Most of them that I can't actually share. But, um, yeah. So, Robbie Savage had gone. From United, where he didn't quite make the grade, to Crew, where he did very well and earned a move to Leicester, did very well at Leicester, moved to Birmingham, decided he want, wanted out of Birmingham in the January of this season that we're about that we're talking about. Uh, he said the reason he wanted to leave Birmingham was because he wanted to be closer to his parents who lived in Wrexham. 
and then he moved to Blackburn. Now, I'm not a geography master or anything, but I don't think there's a huge amount of difference. So it's an hour and 42 minutes from Birmingham to Wrexham. And it is an hour and 28 minutes from Blackburn to Wrexham. So it's a 14-minute difference. Methinks he moved for the money more than to be close to his parents. I don't think his parents had much to do with the move. And of course... You don't necessarily have to live in Birmingham to play for Birmingham. You could move to Stafford. You could move to Telford. You could move to Shrewsbury. You could move anywhere you want. Cannock. You could live anywhere and commute in. Generally, clubs want players living within 45 minutes of the training ground, but they will make exceptions. Uh, Realistically, he could have moved to Wrexham and commuted to Birmingham if the club were willing to let him do that. Uh, Robbie Savage moved for the money because that was what motivated Robbie Savage, which is fair enough, not criticising for that. But, you know, um, it's a bit of a a crappy lie to tell that you want to move because of your parents. Um, Middlesbrough signed Mark Viduca, Bodewine Zendine, Gaiska Mandietta, they made that loan a permanent move. They signed Ray Parler, they signed Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and Michael Reitziger all on freeze. Southampton signed Nigel Quasi, Jelly Van Damme, Peter Crouch. Was this the first or second time Harry Redknapp signed Peter Crouch? Because he signed him about 14 times. Andreas Jakobsen arrived, Olivier Bernard arrived, Mikhail Nielsen arrived. Jamie Redknapp came in on a free. That was a Harry Redknapp one. And a very young Kenwin Jones, who would go on to be a good player for for quite a while. They also brought in Henri Camera on loan, who was a decent player. Portsmouth signed Diamancy Camara uh, on loan. Ricardo Fuller, Lamana Lua Lua, Giannis Scopolitas. Don't remember him at all. Alu Cisse was a decent player. Um, Andy Griffin on free, uh, Alexander Rodich on a free, Andrea Guatelli on a free, David Unsworth on a free. Y- you can see Harry Redknapp's fingerprints all over both Southampton and Portsmouth. Lots of wheeling and dealing. Um, obviously, Nigel Quasi went from Portsmouth to Southampton when Redknapp went. He was the first player he brought in. Um, Tottenham, they signed Andy Reid and Michael Dawson. Two young players from Nottingham Forest. They signed Sean Davies, Timothy Atuba, Michael Carrick, a young Michael Carrick from West Ham. Such a good player. Michael Carrick is, to this day, the most underrated English midfielder of the Premier League era. Uh, They also brought in Pedro Mendes, who was decent. Paul Robinson arrived from Leeds. No Pamaro arrived from Nice. Eric Eric Edmund arrived from Heronveen. Mido came in on loan, Callum Davenport, 
Nurdin Nabetz, Rito Ziegler. A lot of wheeling and dealing going on here as well. Are we, are we sure Harry Redknapp's not running transfers at three different clubs? A lot of young players, though. A lot of young players, kind of 25 and under, other than Nabet. Um Moving on to Blackburn, they obviously brought in Savage. They signed Morton Gams Pedersen. Pedersen, rather, Pedersen, who was a really good player. Rocket of a left foot. They signed an old Paul Dickoff. They signed Dominic Matteo. Ryan Nelson, who I think was the first New Zealander to play in the Premier League. If not the first, certainly the best. Really good centre-back. Came in from DC United on a free. They signed uh, Jay Boothroyd. Manchester City signed Ben Thatcher. They signed Andy Cole, who'd already... Where did he gone to Fulham? And now he ends up here. Uh, they signed Danny Mills on a free. Kiki Musamba on loan. Uh, talented but frustrating. Everton signed James Beattie. They signed Tim Cahill. They signed Marcus Bent. They obviously sold Rooney. Norwich signed Dean Ashton from Crew. Dean Ashton is one of the lost talents of English football. Such a good centre forward. I played a year at Norwich, moved on to West Ham, got into the England squad and wrecked his ankle. I think he was retired like 26 or 27. He was such a good player. Dean Ashton. He retired at 26. So he comes through at Crew. Three seasons working his way in, but he's double figures in all competitions in two of them. Then he's 20 and 47 and 20 and 27 in all comps. 19 and 44, 18 and 24 in his last two seasons there league-wise. They're both in the championship, by the way. That's not a that's not some like League Two, League Three, none or League One, League Two stuff. He'd, I think, joined Norwich on loan. What way did this work? No, 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 I'm wrong. He joined Norwich halfway through this season. He'd scored 18 and 24 for Crew. joined Norwich in the January, scored 7 and 16, would stick with them for the first half of the next season. Gets 10 and 28. Then he gets hurt. Come, gets into the England squad. Gets hurt. Misses a full season. Comes back. Has one season where he's fit. Does pretty well. 10 and 31. Not bad coming off the injury. Finally gets his England call up. Gets to play. And then gets injured again. He got, he got hurt in the England training session during his first call-up in August of 2006. So unfortunate. He was such a good player. He had, he had pretty much everything. Strong, he was quick, good touch, good movement. Great finisher. Brave. Such a shame. 
I'm glad he got his England cap a couple of years after the first injury, but he was never the same player. And he joined West Ham halfway through next season as we're looking at it. Misses, gets injured in the August in the England camp, misses the entire season, comes back, plays a season, plays five games the next year, and then he's done. Such a shame. Uh, Nora Joel signed Matthias Janssen, Yusuf Safri, Simon Charlton, Matthias Svensson, Gary Doherty, Darren Ward, Thomas Helveg, very, very experienced uh, Danish right-back, Paul Gallagher and David Bentley arrived in on loan from Arsenal. Um, West Brom signed Robert Earnshaw. Everybody will remember Robert Earnshaw for the amount of goals he scored over his career. Uh, Richard Chaplow, Martin Albrechtson, Zoltan Gira, uh, one of the one of the few Hungarians to have had real success in the Premier League. That is about to change with Dominic Zaboslai. They signed Jonathan Greening, Darren Purse, Janichi Inamoto, Ricardo Skimeka. Don't remember. Oh, yeah, I do remember. He was last year. Yeah, yeah. They also signed Kevin Campbell uh, from Everton midway through the season. And Thomas Zutsek, Kutsek, who was actually a pretty good goalkeeper. Noanku Kanu arrived in as well on a free. Kieran Richardson came in on loan. Cosman Contra came in on loan. Decent business. Crystal Palace signed Fitz Hall, Sander Torghell, Julian Speroni. Speroni was around for a long, long time. He's currently the um, under-21 assistant manager at Crystal Palace. Jonas Kolka, Wayne, Wayne Andrews, Emerson Boyce, Mark Hudson, Gabor Corrali, who is most notable for wearing full tracksuit bottoms while playing. Um, yeah, so there you go. They are our transfers. Everybody remembers who won the league that year. It was Chelsea. They won it at a canter. They were just an unstoppable machine. As good as Arsenal were, and Arsenal were very good that year, Chelsea were just a different class. 95 points. 29 wins, 8 draws, 1 defeat. 1 defeat all season in the league. 72 goals scored, only 15 conceded. Mourinho ball was just sensational. They finished 12 points ahead of Arsenal, who finished 6 points ahead of United. There was then a 16-point gap from United to Everton, who had their best Premier League season by a country mile. But it was a little bit fugazi, and let me tell you why. Everton finished fourth with a negative goal difference. They only scored 45 goals all season, conceded 46. That's the most fugazi fourth place finish of all time. And unsurprisingly, despite qualifying for the qualifying round of the European Cup, they would not qualify for the European Cup itself. They would get knocked out in the qualifying round. Liverpool finished fifth, but did win the European Cup that season. So, you know, didn't mind too much finishing fifth. 
Uh, Bolton 6th, Middlesbrough 7th, Manchester City, Tottenham, Aston Villa rounds out the top half. Then we have Charlton, Birmingham, Fulham, Newcastle, Blackburn, Portsmouth, West Brom, Crystal Palace, Norwich return back down, and Southampton. So Palace and Norwich going back down, having just been promoted. Um, And Southampton going down. And the funniest part is that Portsmouth stayed up despite Redknapp walking out on them um, mid-season. They stayed up and Southampton went sailing down. He would return to Portsmouth uh, not long after. Um, The bottom of the league was fairly weak. You had Villa finishing 10th on 47 points. A lot of cluster below them. And then a bottom five that was very poor. A bottom four that was really poor. West Brom stayed up by a point. The league was quite poor that year outside the top three. And United weren't anywhere close to what they'd been in previous years. Like you get Everton finishing fourth with 61 points and a negative goal differential, having lost 13 games. Liverpool finished fifth, having lost 14 games. It was not a strong league at the top that year, other than the very, very top. Chelsea were incredible. Arsenal were excellent. United were, they were good. That Chelsea team is worth is worth remembering. It is... It was just a monstrous, a, a monstrous team to play. You couldn't, you couldn't live with them. They were so strong defensively. You had Ferreira at right back, Wayne Bridge at left back. Though William Gallas played a lot of that season at left back. William Gallas might have played the majority of games that year at left back. We'll check now. Um, you had Carvalho and Terry in the middle. You check behind them and you had Claude McAlealy sat in front of them. So they were just really, really tough to break down. And then they were just horrible to play against on the counter because you had Damien Duff on one wing. You had Aryan Robin on the other. You had Drogba as your outlet and you had Lampard running behind them. The third midfield role tended to rotate a bit. Um, again, what a transfer window. Drogba, Czech, Robin and Carvalho all in one summer. So they started off winning four in a row. They beat United 1-0, which was a big statement to beat United on the opening day. They beat Birmingham, beat Palace, beat Southampton. Then they drew at Villa and drew with Spurs. Then they beat Middlesbrough and beat Liverpool. It's worth noting the only game in the first eight of which they won six, that they won by more than one goal, was Palace away. And they only scored more than one in two games, Palace away and Southampton at home. One nil was enough for them. Then they lost one nil to Manchester City and Nicholas and Elke penalty. That's the only defeat of the season in the league. After that, they ran off 
four wins, three of which they scored four goals. They really start to find their form. They beat Blackburn, they beat West Brom, they beat Everton, they beat Fulham. Then they draw with Bolton. Then they beat Charlton and then Newcastle, scoring four in both. They draw 2-2 away to Arsenal. They beat Norwich 4-0. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six games in eight. Six games in nine, sorry, where they score four goals. Then they beat Villa, they beat Portsmouth, they beat Liverpool again, they beat Borough, they beat Tottenham, they beat Chelsea, they beat Blackburn. Eight run, eight wins in a row, no problem to them. They draw with Man City, they win five in a row again. They beat Everton, they beat Norwich, they beat West Brom, they beat Palace, they beat Southampton. They draw with Birmingham, draw with Arsenal, then they run off four more wins. They beat Fulham. They beat Bolton away, and that's the win that clinched the title for them. Then they beat Charlton. They beat Manchester United 3-1 at Old Trafford. And then the final day, they draw away to Newcastle. Top the table comfortably. They went top in match week 12, and there was just no touching them from then on. At home, 14 wins, 5 draws. 35 goals scored, only six conceded. Away, 15 wins. So more wins away than at home. Three draws, only the one defeat. Scored 37. So again, scored more goals away. Conceded only nine. Like they were just a machine. And what was scary was they actually got better after this season. Um, In the Champions League, they topped a group that had Porto, the reigning champions, but they'd been decimated. Um, CSK Moscow and Paris Saint-Germain. <laughs> Paris Saint-Germain. If, if you, someone said to you now that PSG would finish bottom of a group of Porto and, Mo- and CSK Moscow, you'd laugh at them. Uh, they knocked out Barcelona, lost 2-1 away, beat them 4-2 at Stamford Bridge. They knocked out Bayern Munich. They beat them 4-2 away. They lost 3, sorry, 4-2 at home, beat, beat them uh Beat them 4-2 at home, lost 3-2 away. And then they faced Liverpool. And they were heavily favoured. Heavily favoured. Nil-nil draw at the bridge. Frank Lampard missed the sitter. And then Liverpool beat them 1-0 at Anfield with the infamous ghost goal. But what's always annoyed me about the ghost goal is Chelsea fans acting like that they were somehow wronged in that. Because if the goal isn't given, it's a penalty and a red card to Petr Cech and you're 1-0 down with 10 men for 86 minutes plus stoppage time. So which would you prefer? Giving the goal actually gave you a chance to win the game. They went out of the FA Cup in the fifth round, losing 1-0 to Newcastle. Uh, We'll do the League Cup next. So... Chelsea won the League Cup this year as well. They beat Liverpool 3-2 after extra time. John Anarisa had put Liverpool one up in the first minute. A Steven Gerrard own goal on 79. Sent it to extra time. Drogba scored. Nunes scored off the bench. Sorry, Drogba scored, then Kesman scored. Nunes got one back for Liverpool, but they couldn't get back into 
the game. The Chelsea team on the day, Petr Cech, Paolo Ferreira, Ricardo Carvalho, John Terry, Galas at left back, like I said, Makaleli, Yuri Yarosek, Frank Lampard. So Yarosek playing in that midfield role. Uh, Joe Cole and Damian Duff, either side of Drogba in this one because Robin was injured. Lenny Pidgeley as the backup keeper on the bench. Glenn Johnson, Thiago, Ider Good Johnson, and Matthias Kesman. Also subs, Johnson, Kesman, and Good Johnson came on for Yurisek, Galas, and Cole. Liverpool's team was Dudek, Finnan, Carragher, Hippia, Traore, Garcia, Gerard, Haman, Risa, Kuhl, and Morientes, missing Xabi Alonso. Uh, Scott Carson, Pellegrino, P- Biscan, Nunes, and Barros on the bench. Biscan, Nunes, and Barros came on for Traore, Kuhl, and Morientes. Uh, in the FA Cup final that year, it's the end of an era. Arsenal beat Manchester United 5-4 on penalties in what is the closing chapter of their incredible rivalry. Now, the rivalry had sort of ended the previous season because this season neither of them were really title contenders because Chelsea were just so much stronger than everybody else. But these two teams still hated each other. But this is the last time we ever saw Roy Keane against Patrick Vieira. It's the last game Patrick Vieira ever played for Arsenal. And Keane would leave United in the November after a falling out with Ferguson. Um, in terms of penalties, Loren, Lundberg, Van Persie, Cole and Vieira scored for Arsenal. Van Nistelrooy, Ronaldo, Rooney and Keane scored for United. And Paul Scholes missed his penalty. Um Arsenal's team on the day, Loren, sorry, Lehman, Loren, Toure, Philippe Senderos started for some reason. Ashley Cole, Cesc Fabregas, he'd made his way into the first team. Uh, Patrick Vieira and Gilberto Silva. Uh, you had Perez and Jose Antonio Reyes out wide and Burkamp through the middle. No Henri, he was injured. Almunia, Campbell, Lumberg, Edu, and Van Persie on the bench. They came on for, uh, sorry, Lumberg, Edu, and Van Persie came on for Burkamp, Sesk, and Perez. United's team, Roy Carroll in goal. John O'Shea, Rio Ferdinand, Wes Brown, and Mikel Sylvester at the back. Darren Fletcher, Roy Keane, Paul Scholes, and Cristiano in midfield. Wayne Rooney and Ruud van Nistelrooy up front. Uh, Tim Howard, Gary Neville. Quinton Fortune, Ryan Giggs and Alan Smith on the bench. Fortune and Giggs came on for O'Shea and Fletcher. Um, Top scorers in the Premier League that year, Thierry Henry with 25. Andy Johnson scored 21 for a relegated Crystal Palace, which is a hell of a return. Bobby Perez got 14 for Arsenal. Uh, Jermaine Defoe got 13 for Spurs. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank did the same for Middlesbrough. Frank Lampard did the same for Chelsea and Yakubu did the same for Portsmouth. Andy Cole got 12 for Fulham before moving to Manchester City. Peter Crouch uh, got 12 for Southampton and either relegated Southampton and either Good Johnson got 12 for Chelsea. 
Manager of the month, August Wenger, September Moyes, October Redknapp, November Mourinho, December Yol, January Mourinho, February Ferguson, March Redknapp, April Stuart Pierce. Harry Redknapp managed the month twice and got relegated. Got managed the month, then quit on his team. <laughs> Went to a different club, got managed the month, and then got relegated. Um, manager of the season was. Jose Mourinho, obviously, uh, swept the board, LMA and Premier League manager of the season. Your PFA player of the year was somehow given to John Terry. He wasn't even the best player at Chelsea. You had three Chelsea players nominated, Czech, Lampard and Terry, along with Gerard, Henry and Andy Johnson. Lampard should have won player of the year. Lampard was the most important player in that Chelsea team. Because he was the biggest source of goals. Defensively, it was a unit. It wasn't John Terry. It should have been Lampard that year. He was he was incredibly good that year. Wayne Rooney won PFA Young Player of the Year. Uh, Lampard won Fans Player of the Year. He also won Football Writers Player of the Year. Your Team of the Year, Petr Cech, Gary Neville, John Terry, Rio Ferdinand, and Ashley Cole. The fact that Carvalho wasn't included is an absolute disgrace. Um, midfielders, Sean Wright Phillips, Lampard, Gerard, Aryan Robin, up front, Henri and Andy Johnson. No issues with the attack or midfield, really. Uh, not sure about Sean Wright Phillips' inclusion, but the defence, that 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 defence is a shambles. Um, Petacek won the Golden Gloves. Arsenal won the Fair Play Award just ahead of Tottenham and the least sporting side was Blackburn Rovers. Uh, players of the month, just to do them August, Anto- uh, Jose Antonio Reyes, September, Ledley King, October, Andy Johnson, November, Arian Robin, December, Stephen Gerrard, January, John Terry, February was Wayne Rooney, March was Joe Cole, and um, April was Frank Lampard. Just to have a quick look at that Chelsea squad one more time. Just in terms of who was playing. Just my own memories more than anything. Uh, statistics. Right, P- Petr Cech played 35 league games. Um, McAuley and John Terry played 36. Lampard played 38. Uh, Damien Duff played 30. Thiago Mendes played 34, but 13 were sub-appearances. Gallas played 28, but he played right back. He played left back and he played centre back. Carvalho played 25. Um, Drogba only started 18 games that year. Either Good Johnson was their most commonly used forward player, actually. I suppose with, with Robin only playing 18 games, four of which were sub appearances, it does kind of explain that. Uh, Wayne Bridge played 15 times. Y- Yerasek made three starts in the league with 14 appearances. Jeremy played a lot of, of sub appearances. Yeah, it's a hell of a squad, to be fair. Lampard, Goodjonson, McAuley, Terry, Czech, Mendes, 
Duff, Ferreira, Cole, Gallas, Drogba, Carvalho, Kesman, Robin, Glenn Johnson, Smerton, Wayne Bridge, Yuri Yarasek, Jeremy, Robert Hoot, Celestine Babiaro, Scott Parker, Carlo Cudicini played three games, Mutu got two sub-appearances, Nuno Moraes got two sub-appearances, Mikel Forcell, Felipe Oliveira, Stephen Watt, Lenny Pidgeley, and Anthony Grant. They all played in the Premier League that year. Um, the last seven of whom, Mutu, Moraes, Forcell, Oliveira, Watt, Pidgeley, and Grant all got their appearances as a sub. Scott Parker made one start. Young player of the year two years earlier. Maybe it might have been the year earlier. One start. Um, yeah, the hell of a team. Hell of a team, hell of a manager. This was Mourinho was untouchable at this point. He'd won the UEFA Cup and the European Cup with Porto, comes to England, announces himself as the special one, runs over the league. And when criticised about, you know, maybe the style of play isn't always that appealing, he just said, well, who plays better football? And the journalist wouldn't answer. He just kept saying, who plays better football? Is it Arsenal? Is it Arsenal? They're 10 points behind. He was just, he was different class. Jose was different class. You had to have been there to understand, because I know people see the videos and that, but this cult of personality that he just cultivated for himself. Um, when did the Mutu thing happen? Adrian Mutu. I might as well mention this. So, September. September. So he started the season. Adri Mutu played in two of the early games and then he was banned from football for seven months having tested positive for cocaine use. And Chelsea would eventually terminate his contract and there would be a whole bunch of legal nonsense that went on for years. And I don't know if it's ever actually been resolved. I don't know if he's ever paid them the 17 million that they... Uh, that they won in the different courts from him for breach of contract. Um, he went on and, and you know carried on his career. Uh, he left Chelsea, went to Juve, had a year there, went to Fiorentina, was very good there. Played for Cecina, played for Jaco, played for a couple of teams. I think that's a team in in Romania. Yeah, Ploista. Uh, then he played for. Pune City in India. Then he played for another team in Romania. Um, so he went on and continued having his career. It didn't really, didn't really affect him in any huge amount of ways. But yeah, he was banned for cocaine use. And what was a bit suspicious about this was that they tried to sell him in the summer and couldn't get their asking price. And he was apparently quite vocal about wanting to play and not being happy about, you know, the potential of being a squad player, et cetera, et cetera. So they clearly wanted him out the door. And all of a sudden he fails a cocaine test. Now, or drug test for cocaine. Now, two years previously, at exactly the same time of year, having 
failed to be able to get rid of this player. Mark Bosnich also failed the drug test while playing for Chelsea on a big contract. Chelsea had tried to get rid of him. Couldn't because he'd been a disaster. He was a disaster. He was brilliant for Villa. Brilliant for Villa. Disaster at United. Went to Chelsea on a free as well. I think United just paid out his contract and let him go. Um, Signed for Chelsea on a big, big contract, like 45, 50 grand a year, a week rather, which was big money at the time. A three or four year deal. And Chelsea tried to get rid of him after a year, couldn't find anyone to take him. And then all of a sudden he just failed the drug test. And uh, it, was, it was just a little bit, little bit suspicious that both him and Mutu, after summers in which Chelsea had failed to get rid of them, failed drug tests. And Mark Bosnich has been fairly open that he'd been taking cocaine or using cocaine for quite a while before that. And he wouldn't be the first player. He certainly, you know, there's certainly players that do it now. It doesn't pop on drug tests unless the club really wants it to pop on a drug test. There's been players. There's been players who have been injured for periods of time when they haven't actually been injured. They've just failed an in-house drug test and the club have just internally suspended them. Like, that happens more than you think. (laughs) Chelsea just leaked the drug test results twice. It it kind of, it pretty much ended Bosnich's career. He was 31 at the time. Still probably had years ahead of him, but he didn't kick a ball again for six years. I think he came back it when he went back to Australia. I know he had some some fairly tough times. He was such a good goalkeeper back when he was at Villa. He really was such a good goalkeeper. Um, it's a shame because had he not failed the the drug test, Sam Allardyce wanted to sign him in the January. But it just didn't work. Um, in the end, he developed a, a serious cocaine addiction um, for a few years. He eventually went back to Australia, played for Central Coast Mariners for a while. Shame. Shame for him and Mutu. Two very good players, but yeah, Chelsea didn't mess about. Anyway, we'll take a break. When we come back, I think we've just got the gossip unless anything's happened in the last hour. So I'll see you in a sec. Right. Welcome back. So um, what have we got? Pep Guardiola says he wants to keep Kyle Walker at the club. I do think Walker as a spot starter is important for City. I I don't think he's good enough to start every week for them anymore, but that recovery pace is just so unique that he is worth keeping around. If they were to swap him for Pavard, that would be a significant downgrade. Uh, Wolf Zaha has left the Premier League and signed for Galatasaray, a three-year contract. Um, Significantly lower salary than he could have got elsewhere. So, I'm guessing the appeal of the club, the the lifestyle in Turkey maybe, was what drew Wilf, because he was definitely offered an awful lot more, both by 
palace and by the Saudis. Um, but Galatasaray are, are, are doing something this summer. They're putting together a fairly powerful team, it must be said. Now, what it ends up being like, I have no idea. But they've made some moves. They've brought in Angelino from uh, RB Leipzig. Can Iron, a good defender, brought in from Sassuolo. Uh, they've brought in Zaha, obviously. They signed Zaniolo back in January, wasn't it? Um, they've signed Halil Derviselag from Brentford. And it is believed that the next name through the door will be Maro Icardi. So, assuming they get the Icardi deal done, it's a pretty good attack with Dries Mertens there from last summer. Uh, Cedric Bakumba is there as well. He's He'd be a decent backup. If they get Wilf in, then that's a pretty exciting front three. They've also got Yusuf Demir, who's one of the most talented young players in Europe, plus Zaniolo. They've got Lucas Torreira there, formerly of Arsenal. It's a pretty strong team that they're putting together. So you'd expect them to be pretty good next season. Now, obviously, they won the league last year, which was was huge for them because they finished 13th the year before. They hadn't won the league in three four years. So, you know, good for them to bounce back, but looks like they are putting together a pretty serious outfit for the coming season. Um, Byron have confirmed the signing of Kim Min Jae. Man City have released a new third kit, which is awful. Jordan Henderson has said goodbye to the staff at the AXA training center. Uh, what else do we have news-wise? That's Chelsea's move for Moises Caicedo seems to have stalled. We'll jump into the gossip. It's probably in there. Manchester United will make an offer for Rasmus Hoysland this week. United are not willing to pay more than $60 million. Atalanta want $86 million. So I, I don't think that deal's going to happen, to be totally honest. Uh, Sophie Amrabat has reached an agreement on a five-year deal with United. Good backup for Casemiro. Could play with Casemiro uh, in certain games where you want a very solid midfield pairing. Uh, he played for Ten Hag in Utrecht, so Ten Hag does like to sign players that he's worked with. Uh, Martinez, Anthony, Onana, now him. There's a pattern emerging here. Um, Inter Milan have offered 15 million euro for Emmy Martinez. And if you listen quietly, you can hear the laughter coming from Aston Villa. Um, United are looking at Randall Colo Moani and Mohamed Kudus. Mohamed Kudus, another former, um, Ten Hag player. Uh, Ten Hag is open to offers for several fringe players. Ten Hag is looking to reinforce United's backup goalkeeping options with the signing of Fenerbahce's 25-year-old Turkish international, Altay Bayinder. Um, I don't 
I don't know that he'd be overly chuffed about moving to sit on the bench. He's been an established player now with Fenerbahce for the last four years. Uh, he's got five Turkish caps. Now, he'd probably still stick in the national team, but you know I think he probably wants to play. Um, Chelsea, Manchester United and Tottenham will be part of a bidding frenzy for killing Mbappe. No, they won't. Don't be so foolish. Al-Halil prop- plan to offer Mbappe a net salary of $200 million a year while offering while allowing him to keep 100% of his image rights. That's way below what's been reported elsewhere. Um, if Mbappe joins Al-Halil, it could be for just one season with PSG. It's just such, it's mental. I talked about it yesterday. I don't talk about it anymore. Um... If Mbappe moves to Saudi Arabia, PSG will meet Tottenham's 100 million valuation for Kane. Uh, we can throw that one in the bin. Uh, Al Halal are close to signing Alexander Mitrovic. Uh, Jordan Henderson has said his goodbyes. Foran Balogun trained alone during Arsenal's preseason tour of the USA, went into Milan preparing a 35 million bid. They're not preparing anything of the sort. Um, Everton are close, closing in on Almeria's Al Balil Toure. That deal is now done to Atalanta by the looks thing. So, Football Insider uh, and the boffin that is Wayne VC once again completely wrong. West Ham have offered Southampton 25 million for James Ward Price. Imagine if they spend that money on Ward Price, Gallagher, and McTominay. I might never stop laughing. They, they, I, I might never stop laughing. Chelsea's attempts to sign Moises Caicedo have stalled over the Seagulls' demand that Levi Cole will be included in the deal. Uh, Tottenham and Newcastle, sorry, Tottenham and Nottingham Forest have approached Juventus over 23 year old Italian defender Andrea Cambiasso. Um, really? Because he was at Genoa and he was never a standout. Went to Juve, I think on a free. He played last year at Lona Bologna. Now, I have to admit, I didn't watch much of him, but I, I wasn't overly impressed with what I saw from him at Genoa. But he was 21, so, you know, it was his first season at Serie A level. So, you know, you give him some leeway, but not sure why Tottenham would want him. Tottenham have loads of fullbacks. Forrest, I could see. Forrest could use him, but I think they could do a bit better. Manchester United plan to extend the contract of Aaron Wan-Bissaka. That's just bizarre. Leicester midfielder Hamza Chowdhury wants his long-term future settled amid interest from Southampton. Um, In the Championship, I think he's a very good player for Leicester to have, so they should keep him. And that's it. That's all I have for today, folks. So I will speak to you all tomorrow. Um, I won't be here Friday. So we've got tomorrow, we've got Thursday. So we'll do 0506 and 0607. And we might leave it there for the nostalgia because that will bring us up to 16 years ago. I might run it to the end. Now, do you know what? I'll run it to the end of this this decade. I might bring it to 0910 and just leave it leave it at that then. Um and then we'll look for the next thing. Or if I struggle for content, I might just keep going. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I will speak to you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.